Always the lie that is loudest. I know the one with the power. It's never the one who is shouting, shouting. I lean in. I know that I need to listen. Through all of the thunder you whisper. Even in doubt you are with me, with me. Like a love song that I've always known. Your word hits me deep inside my soul. When you speak. the god of confusion why do i feel like i'm losing my mind every time i can't see what you're doing like a love song that i've always known your word hits me deep inside my soul when you speak Holy melody. 
Good morning and welcome to 1C. Would you please rise for our first song? Sin and dark 
Please be seated. When I worship God, typically, most of the time, it's when I'm by myself. So when I'm by myself, I'll oftentimes journal at night. I pick a verse that applies to my day, depending on if it's a good day or a bad day, anxiety, really happy, and I just journal about that verse and how it applies to me, and that's how I worship God personally. But usually it's whenever I'm in my car, just singing along with casting crowns or even the scent, having a nice half an hour whenever I'm driving, just singing worship tunes. Well, I think this one's probably obvious, but music is a big part of that for us. Even, you know, at home we'll be, you know, Scott will get on the drums or on the guitar and start smashing out a worship song, and, you know, Lenny will lay in bed and at the top of her lungs just, you know, sing out a worship tune, and, you know, that's just before we go to bed at night, a lot of times we'll bring in old hymns and we'll, we'll sing them together at bedtime, and that's been part of our routine for years. Um, I love Sunday mornings, I love being around other people, I love the music, I love to dance a little bit. Definitely being on worship team, I don't feel like I've worshipped the same when weeks that I'm not up there. We watch online sometimes when uh, we can't make it to church and that's been very nice to have that option. Yeah, we really prefer to worship in church. God is with us, we're together, I like just being close, sitting close when you're at home. You're separated from each other usually, you know, it's just, you have distractions. I love coming to the sanctuary because it feels so, um, you're immersed in worship. Well, coming to worship uh, weekly at 1C is just a huge blessing for me. The music just draws me in and just puts me in a real worshipful mood, causes me to kind of let the week slip away and um, turn my eyes to Jesus. And you know, I think worshiping God, you know, we often think of music, but that's not the only way or even really the main way that, that we show worship to the Lord. For me, it's I like to worship probably more coming to church and getting fed, but for me it's daily devotional in the morning and listening to Christian music and singing along and just praising God all by myself. I like to listen to Christian music before I go to bed. Um, it just draws me closer to God. And then I try to make it a rhythm of my life to, to hear what God is saying to me throughout the day. Um, and that also just kind of helps draw closer to Him and my relationship with Him. So I experience worshiping by coming to church on Sunday mornings. I'm here at the 11, maybe 11.07. But then also throughout the day, prayers of Thanksgiving, Prayers for strength, prayers for why did the sun on my lap, Jesus? What's my job today? Why is, what am I doing? My experience is when I come to church, as soon as I arrive, it's everybody's so welcoming, loving. Jim's sermons are always got a story behind him that brings the Bible to life, that just gives you a, a feeling like you were there when it was happening. And that, that's, I guess, is really what inspires me and just makes you want more and more.
if we said it once, we've said it a thousand times. The rhythm of the Christian life, up, in, and out. And uh, what you just saw in the video, we talked about this up thing, which is worshiping God. And it's not confined to the four walls of a church. It's wherever you are as you connect with the God of the universe. So I pray that you would be um, blessed with worship today, but also throughout your day and throughout the week as we worship the God who loves us. Uh, a couple of announcements. I uh, do want to welcome each and every one of you here. Glad that you're with us in worship, whether you're in the house or online. Glad you're with us. If you are a guest, we'd like to get to know you. A couple ways to do it on Facebook Live. Feel free to put something in the comment section. If you want to text 1C guest to 94000, that will let us know. You can also stop on the way out uh, at Next Steps in Family Gathering Area. We'd like to meet you, greet you, and give you a gift as well. Secondly, we will have a time of prayer in just a little bit. And if you're sitting here today and you have a prayer request, there's something on your heart, you can let us know those prayers a couple different ways. You can text them to 402-242-5051. You can also put it in the Facebook comment section. We'll include those in worship. We also have forms out in the family gathering area that you can use. A third announcement that we make every single week is that we have communion. Uh, It's also known as the Lord's Supper. It's a gift that God has given to his people. And we serve communion two different ways here. One of them is continuous communion, so we'll explain that a little bit later. But the other way is if you're sitting where you are and you say, you know, I'd like to kind of take communion where I'm seated. You can get those little individual communion sets um, at the kitchen window um, in the, in the uh, gathering area. And if you didn't get them already, you can still go, and maybe during the next song you can make your way over there and get that and be ready. Uh, it's a beautiful gift God has given to his people. Also, a couple other announcements. Uh, one of them is uh, today, from 6 to 8, we have our trunk or treat. Great way to serve our community. So if you would like to still bring your vehicle a trunk, and be a part of this, we would love for you to join in the fun as we serve our community. Other than that, if you would, maybe invite neighbors, family, friends, coworkers, classmates, come and, and have some fun, and also pray about this event. I mean, this is a great way for us just, again, to reach out to our neighbors and love them and let them know that we're part of the community as well. Uh, the other thing is this Friday, November 5th, we're having what's called Marriage Date Night, and it's going to be comedy, teaching, and worship. Great combination. So if you'd like more information, take a look here. Go to our website. You can get tickets online. That's it for now. Uh, God bless all of us as we continue to worship. Have you heard the sound of mama's crying? Or do you turn away when you see the face of the innocent dying? In these darkest days, are you not afraid? 
Boys and girls, come on up front. It is time for the kids' message. Make your way on up front. Find a seat on the floor. All right, nice slide. All right. And as you're coming up, I need a volunteer to help me. Does anybody want to help? You want to help? All right, come on up. So... I took a piece of paper, and I made this out of a piece of paper, and then I put an orange 
paper behind it just so you can see it. But this white part, I made out of one piece of paper. I did. Do you think you can do this? Do you want to try it? Yeah? All right, here. Do you want me to hold that for you? Oh, it's your little snack and you're done with it? Okay, you can just set it up here if you want. All right, there you go. Here's a piece of paper. There's a pair of scissors. And see if you can cut that piece of paper to look like this. What do you think? How's it going? And I'll, I'll tell you, too, you can ask for help if you want to ask for help. All right? So you can ask someone to help you. If you want. But you don't have to. You're doing a pretty good job. Don't get your finger. Hey, that is pretty close. Look, it's got two, two holes on each side. But it doesn't have this part standing up yet, does it? No. Do you want to ask someone to help you? Yeah. Who? You can, ask, you can ask anyone who might know how to do this. Who do you think might know? She's got someone in mind. Where's she going? Going to see mom? Maybe. Maybe she's not. Going back for another snack? All right, here we go. Bringing dad up. <laughs> That's. Somebody told me there'd be snacks. Oh, yeah, here you go. You can have the rest of this applesauce if you'd like. <laughs> All right, Brian, thanks for coming up. Now, let's see. I'll even give you a bigger pair of scissors if you want. See if you can turn that piece of paper into this. And I'll even let you ask someone for help if you want. You want to help me out? There you go. Okay. <laughs> I will help you. Start, make, cut Sorry. a line from here up halfway. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then, then here up halfway. And then flip it over and then cut a line right down the middle up halfway. Flip it over. Or just, just turn it. There you go. So cut a line from here halfway. Alright. There you go. Now hold each end and Twist it. There you go. Nice. You did it. <laughs> Good job. Thanks for your help, Brian. I didn't know you were coming up this morning. <laughs> All right. You know what? That was really a tricky one. And that was a good idea going to get your dad. Yeah. But you know what? This is really kind of a tricky thing to do. And I didn't know how to do it until I watched a video to see how to do it. And you know what? Sometimes to make something new, we have to see something new, don't we? And see something in a new way, and we can ask the person who made it to help us, huh? Just like your dad helped me, right? Yeah. Well, did you know that God made the world that we live in? He did. God made the world. But you know what? It doesn't look exactly like he wanted it to be. Because sin entered the world, and it kind of messed everything up. 
So people fight. That wasn't supposed to happen. And there's hunger and sadness and sickness and pain and difficulty. And none of that was supposed to happen the way that God made the world. But you know what? Jesus came into this world to forgive our sins, didn't he? And not only does he want to forgive our sins, but he wants to reshape us and reshape the world. So just like we can change the shape of a piece of paper, Jesus can change the shape of us, reshape us to help make the world more like what he wanted it to look like. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That Jesus wants to reshape us to help reshape the world. And he invites us to help him do that as we love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Pretty cool. What do you say we pray? All right, we'll fold our hands, bow our heads, and you can repeat after me. Lord Jesus, help us to see a new way to live like you, to help your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. All right, boys and girls, thanks for coming up. You can head on back to your seats, okay? And thank you, Brian, for coming up too. talk with you again because this fog of doubt is not lifting convinces me that you are not listening and the darkness that takes residence in my brain still Within the sound of silence and In my struggle I walked alone Loneliness became my home No words of comfort could restore my hope Despair had brought me to the end of my road my eyes were stabbed by the flash of his loving light that split the night and touched the sound of silence. And in his perfect light I saw a million people, maybe who had run this race before people who had not won the war people that we love who rest tightly to his grace beside his face despite the sound of silence Child of God, your pain I know. Depression like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take 
Jesus, we come before you this morning, this moment, and we give you thanks for how attentive you are to your people. We confess that, yes, we sin against you by our thoughts, our words, our deeds. We go our own way, we do our own thing. Thank you for your attentiveness in knowing that you needed to come to this earth to lay your life as the payment, the sacrifice for all of sin, for all of time. And so we thank you for your death, but also your resurrection. We thank you for both forgiveness of sins and also life with you. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us such a faith to believe this good news and also to receive the blessings you want to give us in this meal for the forgiveness of sins, for the strengthening of our faith. And that reminder, one more time, you are always with us. So thank you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament of my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. And as God's people, we gather to receive all the gifts he wants to give his people, and here at 1C, we believe that this is bread and wine or juice, but also the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. So if that's your belief, we encourage you to celebrate this meal with us. And if you have received those individual communion packs, feel free during the next song to receive that in faith, believing the gifts God wants to give you. If you're going to come forward for continuous communion, 
during the song as the Holy Spirit moves you, come forward. And just a reminder, we do have gluten-free. If you need that, let us know. And if you would like juice instead, let us know that as well. May God bless our time together as we celebrate his gifts for his people. Amen.
May this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and empower you for life and for ministry. Go in his name and in his love. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bring our prayers spoken and in our hearts to you this morning from our 1C family. God, lay your healing hands on my great-grandma, Ginny. Help strengthen her and keep her safe while she has COVID. Jesus, continue to give Nancy and Jim strength, peace, and comfort as they wait for radiation treatments to begin. Work powerfully through the treatments and surgery to fully heal Nancy. We thank and praise your name, Jesus. For Denny, Penny, Kenny, and Glenn, and all of their family. Prayers for Sherry and for all the help she gives me. A prayer of safety for all those who will be out tonight. Prayers of forgiveness and understanding. Father, I just moved here from Kearney and am staying at the rescue mission. I pray for a home. Prayers for healing for my wife and for the empty chair next to us that someone seeks you, Father, and fills that chair. And Jesus, thank you for taking all our sins to the cross, that there is hope for all of us. Gracious God, thank you for hearing our prayers. In our trials and struggles, your love still remains. Your grace and mercy never fails. We thank you for your son Jesus who took all our sins to the cross and taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to introduce myself. I am Jim Thielen. I've been gone for a couple weeks, so I thought I should do that. But I also should tell you, it is the pastor's prerogative. If he's gone for two weeks, he takes the minutes that he would have preached and adds them to the first week back. So if it's about 20, 25 minutes normally, so it's two weeks, that would be 40 to 50 minutes plus this, this week. So we're going to be here for a while, so I hope you have a snack or two. But All right, um, how many of you have ever played a card game? All right, good company. How many of you have ever heard of Texas Hold'em? How many of you have played Texas Hold'em? Okay. For those of you that don't know, there is a point in the game where you can feel the tension build. When somebody who believes that they have a really good hand, what do they do? They go all in. So they take their chips they slide them forward and they say, all in. And then the point of reckoning. The next person to the left is thinking, what do I do? Do I go all in or not? Do I step out of the game or do I stay in the game? And you go around until everyone decides and then you find out who has the best hand and whoever has the best hand wins the pot. That's all in. I was thinking about that phrase in light of different parts of life. So I'm going to use, and I'm not going to name a team, but let's just talk football for a second. There are 11 players on offense and 11 players on defense. And I'm going to pick on the offense for a second. So picture, if you would, the play is called, everybody comes up to the line, and they're ready to run the play. What would happen if the center decided, you know, the center, the one that's like this and hikes the ball, decides not to be all in? Doesn't want to really hike the, you know, snap the ball or anything. What would happen? Probably a penalty or whatever going on. Or how about the quarterback? All right? The center snaps the ball, but what if the quarterback says, I don't even want to catch it. I don't even want to touch it. I don't even want to do this play. I don't want to go all in on this. What would happen with the play? Right, And you can go through almost any player that's out there. If they decide not to, it will dramatically affect the outcome of the play. So just kind of wrap your mind around that. There's nothing better than when every player, all 11 players, are all in at that moment for that play and for that whole game, in fact. That's really important. Let's bring it to music. There's an orchestra. It's the last song. It's going to be this gigantic moment and there's a moment where the percussion kind of takes over and I know we have several percussionists in the house you know how important that is so all of a sudden they're getting ready for the finale and it's all going and they decide they don't want to play it would affect the outcome of that song and that concert in that moment yeah it would make the song, the song sound lousy but how about this one 
in, uh, and, and this is not uh, boasting at all, but I have done lots of weddings in my ministry. I don't know if the number is somewhere around 400 or more. I've done a lot of them. But let me tell you, each and every one, when the couple goes all in and they say, we're committed to this, and when Christ is their head, when all of that takes place, wow, beautiful things happen. But when somebody takes a step back and says, I'm not really all in. I don't, you know, this marriage thing, I like the idea of it. I don't like the reality of it. And they check out. Something happens, right? So this phrase, all in, has been milling around in my head and my heart for several months now. To the point that I went to the staff and I said, hey folks, I'd like to talk to the members and to the people here at 1C about being all in. What does it mean? What does it look like? How important it is? And we've been praying about it for several months. I went to the leadership team, our board of directors, and I shared, you know, this has been put on my heart. I really want to talk about what does it mean when we're all in and what does it look like and how important it is. I even contacted the past presidents of this congregation. And I said, you know, this has been on my heart. I really want to talk about it. It's kind of risky business. Because I may be saying things that might offend you or cause you to squirm a little bit. Every single person that I've talked to said, we need to have this message. So we're going to talk about being all in. What does it look like when you are a believer, a follower, a disciple of Jesus? What does it look like to be all in? And what I've done, in fact, I don't have anything up here right now. So if I can have a little bit of help, there we go. Um, I believe, and here's a, a very bold statement, I believe that if we have more people than ever before being all in, whoever calls 1C home, we will make a greater difference in kingdom work. I'm going to say it again, and I'm gonna, I'll bet the farm on this one. If we get more people like you and me to be all in, I believe the kingdom of God will advance. So, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a difference maker. And um, I'd like to use a word to kind of stir you a little bit. And it's the word discontent. And maybe you've experienced discontent before, but here's a definition. Lack of contentment. Duh, Right? Dissatisfaction with one's circumstances. A person who is dissatisfied typically with the prevailing social or political situation. So, discontentment means something that is unsettled within you. It, it kind of drives you. And I was going to start out with this, and I didn't at the first service, but I'm going to do it here. Because, you know, we've got all afternoon, right? There's an individual who, um, let me walk you through it. Uh, had a girlfriend named Olive Oil. <laughs> Do you know who that person is? Popeye. And when somebody would get in the way of his girlfriend, he would say, anybody know? That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And what does he do? Takes the spinach, whoosh, magically pops in the air and pops in his mouth. He gets these really big muscles and things happen. Right? Brutus, you name it. There, nobody's going to get in the way. 
Because his discontentment of somebody threatening his girlfriend would cause him to do something incredible. Well, let me now go through some real historical figures. Popeye, just so you know, I hope I don't burst your bubble, isn't a real person. He's just a cartoon, but a great storyline. All right, the first person I want to uh, show you, um, an image of Florence Nightingale. She, she grew up in a, a very affluent home. Her parents had dreams for her, but she had this discontent. She saw how the healthcare in England was really poor. It wasn't safe. It wasn't caring. It was really bad. So she had this discontentment stirring within her to do something about it and just read up on her. I mean, this is really the first time I read this much about her. Remarkable young lady. Okay. How about this group? Two people. Anybody know who this is? The Wright brothers, very good. Um, and I wrote this down. They wanted a powered, sustainable, and controlled flight. And I'll just tell you, I benefited from their hard work. I mean, they, they used to spend 12 hours or more every day working on this thing called an airplane. And now I can jump on an airplane and fly from Arizona back to Nebraska in about three hours. Wow. I don't know how it works. Aerodynamics, those kind of things. But their discontent with how things were caused them to do a lot of things. And here's another person when it comes to inventions, uh, Thomas Edison, right? Here's a quote from him, because he would not give up. He would say this. When he had a failure, he would say this. Ten, he learned 10,000 ways that didn't work. So instead of looking at them as failures, it was more of a, okay, these didn't work, I'm going to keep doing this. And in what he wanted to do was to manipulate electrical current. And as a result of that, lights. How about this? Nelson Mandela, I'm just going to use one word, racial equality. Yeah. And he put his life on the line for that. Or how about this person? You've heard me talk about Mother Teresa before. I'm just a big fan of her. Um, here's the storyline. As a nun, she was serving the poor. She was doing significant ministry. But there was a discontent, uh, contentment in her heart. She looked over at Calcutta. And she knew that in Calcutta, there were the poorest of the poor. And she was stirred to her core to do something about it. So she goes to the Pope, says, I want to go do ministry here. The Pope says, no. She just keeps going. She is relentless. To finally, she broke through and then she was doing ministry I, I just can't imagine. You know, back in like the 70s and 80s, holding babies with AIDS when we didn't know much about AIDS. Just a strong resolve. How about this man? Billy Graham, sainted, 99 years old. The estimate says this. 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel because of him. A farmer, a farmer's son, with a burning passion for the lost to be found. 
And so what he did, he, he leveraged some different things. You know, how many of you went to one of his crusades? Anybody ever go to a crusade? A Billy Graham? I did. I went to one. How many of you saw it on TV? I mean, that was on TV. He was the inventor of these kind of crusade things using stadiums and using television and then leveraging the radio. He just had a passion, and he was not going to stop. And then here's an individual who was discontent. Um, we don't have an actual picture of him, but this is Martin Luther. Um, October 31st, in the Lutheran church, we, it's Reformation. It's when we pause and remember and reflect that uh, God called this, this young man who was a monk to want to bring a reform and a change in the church. And there were two main things that happened. Number one, as a monk being trained, he was taught that how you get to heaven is by Jesus Christ and by what you do. And so he knew the first part of the equation. Jesus died on the cross. But when it came to how much he had to do to bring his own salvation, he didn't know how much. So he would beat himself, he would deprive himself of all these things. Finally, as he opened the scriptures, like Romans in particular, he realized that by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. So he was set free. That was one part of the Reformation. The other part is powerful. You see, back then, the clergy, monks, priests, were the only ones that had the Bible, the Word of God. It was in Latin or language that only they would read. Martin Luther was so discontent with that that he translated the entire New Testament, and all theologians would agree, that 11 months to translate the, New, the, Greek, the Greek New Testament or the Latin New Testament into German was remarkable. It was a miracle. Partly because, one, the text itself is so complicated, but two, he didn't have a lot of skill in linguistics. So he worked really hard and diligent. His heart was burning for that. All right, next one. This is a picture of me. One of the weddings I've done here at 1C since coming here two and a half years ago. And the reason I show this to you is uh, one of the most um, meaningful and hardest part of ministry is doing weddings. But let me tell you why it is so meaningful and difficult. When I was 13 years old, before cell phones, my brother calls me up. I just graduated from eighth grade. And he says, Jim, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a divorce. And he talked to me before he talked to my parents or anybody else. And he was telling me that. And he was wanting me to come down and help him move back to Wisconsin with his two kids. And I'll never forget getting on the Amtrak train, and that was kind of fun. I made my way all the way down. Um, and then when I saw my nephew and niece and how shell-shocked they were by divorce, something in me broke. And for those of you that know me, counseling is something God calls me to do. I will, I'll, I'll meet you anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And when it comes to marriage, I will fight really hard. Because early on, I've seen that the enemy attacks that like nothing else. 
So you'll see that. That's part of my passion, part of my heart, part of my discontent. I would love to change the course of divorce in that direction and um, keep praying, keep working at it. Well, now we're going to get to the person at hand. For four weeks, we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah, a prophet found in the Old Testament. Um, very unique story, so I'm going to give you some bullet points of time, a timeline so you can put it into, into a historical perspective. So in 586, it's gone again, if you can have that up. There we go, 586 B.C., before Christ, Jerusalem Remember, that's the holy city. That's where a lot of God's people lived. Um, it was destroyed, and the Jews were now taken off hostage to Babylon. 537 B.C., first group of Jews allowed to return. 516 B.C., the temple was rebuilt. 458 B.C., Ezra, another one of the prophets, led a second group back to Jerusalem. And then we get to 455 B.C. Nehemiah asks permission to return to Jerusalem with a third group to rebuild the city walls. All right, so this happened a while ago. It's a really powerful story, and we're going to look at it for the next four weeks as we look at what does it mean, what does it look like to be all in and to be a difference maker. So again, the main character um, really is God, but this person named Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, <laughs> it sounds like it would be just a servant, maybe in our thinking, but when, uh, back at that time, a cupbearer was a high-ranking official in the government. It was one of the most, if not the most, trusted position out there because that person is responsible for what the king is going to drink because if it's bad stuff, it's bad stuff, right? So here's the scoop. When you are a cupbearer, it is for life. It is a lifetime assignment. Loyalty and trust is a really big thing. The king doesn't want to get a new cupbearer every single year or week. So when Nehemiah goes to the king, the normal response for a king when somebody says, I don't want to serve you anymore, because that's really the message, is death. The discontentment that was brewing within the heart of Nehemiah had him do the unthinkable. To stand up really against the king and say, yes, I want to leave you and I want to go I'm going to go rebuild the wall. So, um, again, where Jerusalem, what the city walls need rebuilding. So now with that backdrop, let me read Nehemiah chapter 1, the first three verses. Uh, the words of Nehemiah, son of Halkaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanini, one of the, my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. I'm going to say, in my view, there's two things that he could do. The first one probably is what I would do. 
maybe even you, the response could be, so what? Nehemiah could look at his lot in life and say, hey, I've got a pretty cushy job here. I'm a pretty high-ranking official. I don't want to upset the apple cart in my life. Okay, well, thanks for telling me. Have a nice day. I think that would be human nature at its best or worst, depending on how you want to say it. That's not what he said and not what he did. We go to verse 4, and we see God at work in the heart and the mind and the life of Nehemiah. He says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Something was occurring in Nehemiah's heart. And let me just break down verse 4 a little bit. So when we see those words, when I heard these things, something was going on. You see, Nehemiah was being attentive. He was really listening. Not like sometimes when my kids would come to me and talk to me, my mind could be a million miles away. Nehemiah was attentive. He heard what was going on, and he understood the significance of it. And then we get to part two. He says, I sat down and wept. It shows that Nehemiah had empathy and care. Instead of taking a step back and saying, not my problem, rather, he stepped in and said, wow. And it, it caused an emotional movement. But third, the third part, though, I think is beautiful. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, It shows that Nehemiah had a dependence on God. Where he was going to get his marching orders, where he was going to get his vision, where he was going to find direction and meaning in life, wasn't going to be on his opinion or on popular opinion, but on God's opinion. And so he went before him. And that's really how it works. That's how God works. That's how he calls So just think about that. Attentiveness, empathy and care, and dependence on God. If there is one person that has walked the face of the earth that has done that better than anyone, it is Jesus, right? Attentive to your need, my need. Attentive to sin and the consequence of sin. Attentive to the fact that unless he died... All the sheep would be lost. So he puts flesh on. He comes to this earth. He lives a perfect life. He goes into Jerusalem. He goes up on a cross and he says it is finished. For you, for me. So we can have life. Now, but also for eternity. So he was attentive He had empathy and care. I mean, his dependence on his heavenly father, how many times do we find him saying, Lord, uh, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So what would happen if you and me, what if we together would follow God's example? Look at those three. To be attentive to show empathy and care, and to be dependent on God. What if we were all in? 
I'm going to give you a series of questions. In fact, just so you know, if you didn't get a bulletin on the way in, get it on the way out. These questions are actually on the back for you so you can contemplate. If you're one of those people that are able and capable to kind of close your eyes and tune out everything, just listen to these questions and listen not with your ears but with your heart. Okay? I'm going to walk you through them. I'm going to give you a couple seconds just to be thinking about it. Right? Just kind of hold on to these for a second. Okay, the first one. What is the burden God has given you? What need has captured your attention? What tugs at you and touches your heart and your emotions? What are you passionate about? What concerns you? What breaks God's heart? What concern has God put on you, one that you can't and shouldn't ignore? If you're human like me, sometimes we, we watch the news and we see all of this stuff kind of fluttering in front of us and we get overwhelmed. I'd like to teach you briefly a technique that I, I use in my coaching ministry. And it's called One Word. Um, when you look at your next couple months, or you can even look at 2022 and just say, okay, in 2022, what is going to be my one word or my focus? And I'm going to give you an example, give you my example, and it's been born out of being on a gurney. Okay, for those of you that don't know, I had a heart attack in June. When you're on the gurney, you think all sorts of things during that moment. And my life is flashing before my very eyes, and I'm wondering Have I told my kids and my family how much God loves them and how much I love them? And I had some tears because I know I hadn't done it enough. So just so you know, that's my one word. Family. 2022 started already. I'm starting early. I want to love them intentionally and I'm going to love them with God's love as much as I can with every breath I take. So here's a process maybe for you to consider. Uh, here's uh, just uh, some little things here. The, the word, one word. So here's how, what you can do. First thing is prepare and pray. 
Um, maybe that means to be uh, getting away from your cell phone, getting away from your computer, getting away from other people or other things, and just be quiet before God. Let him speak. Don't let the world speak. Just kind of let that kind of cultivate in your heart. Just be quiet before him and pray and talk to him. And then secondly, find a scripture. Like for family, you can Google a family in the Bible and you'll find a whole bunch of Bible verses. So I'm still in the process of looking at which one verse am I going to hold on to for this next year. And then share it. Tell people around you, this is your one word, this is what you're going to be focused on in 2022. That you are going to be, like for me, family. And one of the things about when you share it with somebody, like if I go up to Tim and say, hey Tim, family. That's going to be my one word. That's really what I want to conquer this year. I would want you to come up to me and say, how's it going? In fact, years ago, when I was a, a, a very young pastor, I had a friend named Dell who knew that I struggled with keeping things in right priority. I'd keep God number one, but church would often be number two. And I would justify it, saying it's kind of a God thing. Well, my family got down on the bottom of the list. So he would come up for communion, and as he's kneeling, he would go like this. And it was, and I knew what it meant, God number one, family number two, and my church ministry number three. And so by sharing it with somebody else, it really helps you be accountable. So think about that. If God puts something on your heart and you really want to be about it, tell somebody, share. And then the last one is to live it out. And for me, I need to be very intentional. I need to schedule it. I need to make it a priority, not just something that I kind of, well, if I have time, make it a priority. And I don't know what your one word will be. I want to encourage you as you start working on this over the next couple of weeks, tell me. I'd like to hear what your one word is. What is it that God is telling you to do specifically in 2022? Okay? All right. We're going to now profess our faith. We're going to use the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let's stand and let's share this out loud. Together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Receive now the blessing of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.